Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Talk Recorded live. Good evening, everyone, and welcome to the 12th episode of OT Leadership Live. My name is Jenny Martinez, and I will be co-facilitating our conversation this evening along with Michael Lopez. For those of you new to OT Leadership Live, welcome. And for those of you who have participated in our past episodes, welcome back. We have a great episode planned for you tonight, and I'm very excited to hear from our guests, Dr. Penny Moyers and Dr. Patty Coker-Bolt, about academic leadership. This is a personal topic of interest for us, given our own experiences with academia, and I hope that our discussion today provides you with knowledge and inspiration to pursue your own journey as an OT leader. Before we dive into today's topic, I'd like to first review some housekeeping items in order to ensure that our call runs as smoothly as possible. If you're on your phone and you haven't done so already, please make sure that you press mute. If you are on your computer, please mute your microphone in order to minimize the static and feedback that can occur during the recording. Only the person currently speaking should have their device unmuted at that time. If you are on the TalkShoe website, you will notice that there is a chat room available. Please feel free to use it and type any questions or comments throughout the episode, and we will address those along the way or at the end of the episode during the Q&A session. If you are not by a computer and are joining us via your phone, you can always live tweet with us using the hashtag OTLeadershipLive. For those of you who may have to leave early, or if you know of anyone who wasn't available to participate live this evening, we are also recording this episode and will be posting a link to the recording on AOTA's social media website, that is OT Connections, under the Leadership Forum, which can be easily accessed by visiting communityofleaders.org. Before we get started, I would also like to provide you with a brief introduction regarding OT Leadership Live. Our co-hosts today, myself, Jenny Martinez, and Michael Lopez are occupational therapists who serve on the Community of Leaders, an AOTA group dedicated to promoting OT leadership and helping build the AOTA leadership community. OT leadership is a podcast-style series of discussions that the Community of Leaders hosts on a regular basis. Through these chats with leaders in our profession, we hope to foster a dialogue about professional leadership and OT and provide an opportunity to hear from others about their experiences. For tonight's episode, we are joined by two distinguished guests, Drs. Penny Moyer and Patty Coker-Bolt to discuss leadership in the context of academia. It is my pleasure and honor to introduce our guests. Dr. Penny Moyers, Penelope, but of course more often called Penny, is the Dean of Henrietta Schmoll School of Health and the Graduate College. She has held these roles at St. Catherine University for over six years. In that time, she has started a strong focus on interprofessional education, global health, primary care, and gerontology. As a part of interprofessional education, she has led the creation with Alina Health System Clinical Scholars, 
which is an evidence-based practice program designed to solve clinical problems. In conjunction with Dr. Finch, Finch Guthrie, she has co-edited a book for Slack Publishing entitled Interprofessional Evidence-Based Practice, a Workbook for Health Professionals, which is a description of the process for establishing a clinical scholar program. Dr. Moyers has substantially grown partnerships to support the Henrietta Schmoll School of Health and has launched five new programs, Physician Assisting, Evening Public Health, Master's Nursing Entry Level, Occupational Therapy Doctorate, Occupational Therapy Assistant Online, and Master's of Public Health with two more programs, Master's and Doctorates in Healthcare Informatics, coming soon. Penny is a fellow of the American Occupational Therapy Association and is a past president of AOTA. She was also the recipient of AOTA's Award of Merit in 2013, which is the highest recognition from our profession. She is currently a member of the Board for Catholic Elder Care and the Benedictine Foundation Board. Penny received her Bachelor of Science degree in Occupational Therapy from the University of Missouri. She went on to the University of Louisville, where she received a Master of Science degree in Community Development. Her Doctorate of Education is from Ball State University in Adult Education, and her clinical expertise is in the areas of mental health, substance use disorders, HIV-AIDS, and upper extremity rehabilitation. She has published extensively on the occupational therapy interventions for people with substance abuse disorders and those with co-occurring disorders. She also has expertise in the continuing competence of healthcare professionals in interprofessional evidence-based practice and has authored many articles and book chapters on these topics. Welcome, Penny. Thank you. Patty Coker-Bolt is an associate professor in the Division of Occupational Therapy at the Medical University of Southern California, or Carolina, South Carolina. She received an undergraduate degree and special education in 1989 and specialized in teaching children with physical disabilities. After receiving her occupational therapy degree from the Medical University of South Carolina in 1998, Patty worked as both an inpatient and outpatient pediatric therapist, specializing in the treatment of children with neuromuscular disorders such as cerebral palsy. Patty has been involved in several global initiatives and is a Fulbright specialist. She completed a Fulbright project with the Episcopal University of Haiti to provide curriculum support and expertise for the first occupational and physical therapy educational program in Haiti. She has participated as a therapy member on interprofessional medicine or medical mission trips to South Africa, Romania, Uganda, and Nicaragua, and completed a grant-funded project to train therapists in Ethiopia on current treatment approaches for children with cerebral palsy. She was recently invited by Handicap International to work on a project in Vietnam to update rehabilitation guidelines on the care of children with cerebral palsy and provide training workshops for Vietnamese therapists. Patty has served in several leadership roles at her institution in the community with the Accreditation Council for Occupational Therapy Education and AOTA she served as the chair of the faculty assembly in the College of Health Professions at the Medical University of South Carolina and served as the president of the board of directors for two nonprofit organizations in Charleston. She is currently on the roster of accreditation evaluators 
for the Accreditation Council for Occupational Therapy Education, and as well as a member of the Roster Fellowship Evaluators for AOTA. Welcome, Patty. Thank you. And thank you again to our guests for their time and willingness to share their insights with us. We're honored to speak with you today. And to all of our listeners, if you haven't already, we ask that you please ensure that your device is muted at this time. Um, to our guests, today's discussion will follow a question and answer format. Um, we'll start off by posing the first question and then give you both the opportunity to answer. Um, so for our first question, how do you define leadership in the context of academia, and how would you say that it compares to leadership in clinical practice? Well, this is um, Penny, and um, I think leadership um, is broad enough where it's really about a process of leading and influencing others. I think in academia, um, it's the context that influences your leadership in that um, you're working and leading not only uh, faculty, but students, um, partners in the community. Um, you're influencing uh, leaders above you, board of trustee members. And so um, it really is a much uh, sort of, in some ways, looser network of leaders all working together, unlike a purely hierarchical organization that you might have in clinical practice. So we're going to talk about, I think, that leadership starts with every faculty member, every student, and we really want people to lead from where they are. And when you lead in academia, it's about leadership surrounding learning and leadership surrounding um, the, the discovery process and building knowledge and applying knowledge. So that's where we have to really lead. Penny, um, I couldn't agree more. I think um, the leadership happens at all levels, even as a student, an occupational therapy student, um, we are trying to build those leadership skills. I think there's something to be said as students are servant leaders. They're, they're, they're learning those leadership skills in different capacities while they work in their class, while they work in the community, while they work with clients and preclinical skills and then on clinical rotation. And I think if we can build those leadership skills, they're going to use those in clinical practice. Um, I think I think of leadership, or really defined leadership, is being able to inspire people around you to follow um, your vision or follow the, the path that you are laying out for them. And I think that it takes a lot of different uh, behaviors, professional behaviors and social behaviors to really be a good leader. Thank you so much, Patty and Penny, for sharing your insights. And just a reminder, again, for anyone just joining us by phone, if you could uh, please mute your device because I don't, I don't know about everyone else, but I'm receiving a little bit of feedback. I can hear some feedback. Um, so, again, if you're joining us via phone, please mute your device. Um, and, Patty, 
perhaps you can answer this question first, but I also want to direct this to Penny. Can you just tell us a little bit about your leadership trajectory and what inspired you to pursue a career in academia? What has it looked like for you over the, over the years? Well, to be honest with you, I never really saw myself as a leader. I always felt that even in my early career, I was a special education teacher, I really just wanted to be the best teacher that I could be. Um, but then I became really passionate about certain issues related to the care of children with disabilities. And again, at some point you have to make a decision on do you want to, to develop innovative new ideas and to try to get people on your team? Do you want to try to move um, your vision forward? And I think at that point, you end up becoming a leader, um, whether it's leading a, a group, a small group around you that becomes a larger group. I think there's, um, you know, again, I started out thinking I was just very passionate about kind of something very, very specialized, working with children with disabilities. And, and that kind of grew my leadership skills uh, over time. And then I became an occupational therapy student and had more opportunities to kind of build my leadership skills. And then I became a clinician. And shortly after becoming a clinician, I had people that I had to supervise and be in charge of. And someone on my faculty kind of recognized that maybe academics was a good role for me, a future role for me, and they invited me to begin to do guest lectures and be involved with labs, and and that soon rolled into a full-time academic career. So I don't think I, I started out thinking I was going to be a teacher of occupational therapy. I just thought I was going to be a, a good occupational therapist. Yeah, um, for me, it was a little different uh, trajectory, this penny. Um, I've always been kind of a risk taker, and I've been willing throughout my life to try things if it seemed like a good idea. Um, sometimes I have to watch it because I can be a little impulsive, but... Um, but I've always been kind of a risk taker and wanting to search for something better. There's got to be a better way to do this, kind of what Patty was saying. You know, kind of a, can't we figure this out? What's a, you know, this isn't really a problem. It might be a great opportunity to do something different. So I was always calculating in terms of how I might get groups to do something um, and strategize and to plan and to develop and to engage people in the change process. So I've kind of naturally sought out kind of leadership opportunities. I wouldn't say leadership positions necessarily, <clears throat> but leadership opportunities. And um, I kind of liked um, those experiences and enjoyed them, found that I um, was good at it. But I also discovered um, what I needed to learn and 
get better at in my leadership. So I had um, great people around me who are willing, and I think Patty talked about this, who invite you in, mentor, um, give you feedback, help you um, sort of pave the way, introduce you to people. And, and I think that's really important to have that network of people who can look out for you and kind of guide you and show you the way to go as well as what to learn. Thank you, Penny. Jenny, I can't hear Jenny very well. Patty and Penny, can you hear her very well? No, I cannot. Mm-mm. Jenny, can you hear us? I can, yes. Okay. Can. You sound very faint at the moment. Okay. I will try to be louder. Okay. Um, Penny, I, I was wondering if you could expand uh, regarding this idea about leadership yeah, um, I think that's important because um, often um, leadership comes in many different forms and possibilities. And, um, you know, uh, you don't have to be a formal position. It can be volunteer work. It can be, um, I just can think and practice the importance of clinical leaders leading change from where they practice, not exactly as a position, in the same way with faculty. In fact, I was just reading an article that came out in um, an organization that helps develop faculty governance. The biggest crisis that we're facing in faculty governance is faculty, there are fewer faculty will step up to lead at the faculty level um, in in a systemized way. And faculty governance involves committee work, involves um, chairing committees, being members of committees, being involved in the faculty senate, if that's your leadership model, curriculum committees. And those are the same kinds of skills that you use in any committee work, whether it's in practice, academia, um, whether it's in professional organizations, it's really knowing how to put a good team together, how to develop that team, work as a team, and share leadership. And um, so I would say that we're a little bit in a crisis across the country on faculty leadership. And I don't know why that is. Time is such a commodity for everyone that um, maybe as perhaps people feel like they don't have the time to lead, and I think we see that in professional organizations as well. It's really hard to sometimes fill leadership opportunities at state and local OT levels, association levels, for example. And so I think we're hungry for leaders, and because we're hungry, we often have people end up in these positions who aren't maybe the best prepared or have the best network. That's why we really have to help new leaders. Thank you. And this is a great segue into our next question as well. And Penny, could you please answer this? Um, 
then uh, Patty can weigh in. And I'm wondering, we're wondering, what would you say are the most important skills or abilities for successful academic leadership? I really think it's um, collaboration, dealing with ambiguity and complexity. Um, I think we live in a very complex world um, because of technology as part of that, with everything being accessed with digital communication and artificial intelligence. I just think people have access to so much more information than ever before. And so to be a um, team leader, you have to, or even be a leader, you have to be comfortable with what you don't know. And sometimes that's really hard to accept. But it's the way we live in this world now. I mean, we, you know, every time you think you know something, you read something the next day that, kind of calls into question what you thought you knew. So this comfortableness with ambiguity, this comfortableness with um, solving problems in a way that sees it as an innovation opportunity. Um, and it, you really have to have a positive attitude and a sort of resilience to keep going and persistence. Um, so it's really patience, persistence, and perseverance um, truly is what a leader needs. Um, I, would, I would also say, getting back to thinking about being a servant leader, I think Penny brought up some really good points that, that your time as faculty is as l very limited. And sometimes it feels that that maybe you don't get as much credit for taking roles on committees or leading in uh, faculty governance positions. But I think as a servant leader, inherently your, your heart is about service. You care about the service. You're not just serving to check it off your list, to, to move up in the rank, um, in, a, in rank and promotion that you really care about what you're doing and you're passionate about the issues ahead and you're willing to, to bring forth a vision, um, you're willing to talk to people about your ideas and you're willing to collaborate and compromise and in the end, you're, you're also willing to make some decisions. So I think good leadership requires people that really care about serving because there's not always a what's in it for me um, certainly, a lot of people in academics would rather spend more time writing the next big grant or writing their manuscript to make sure it gets published. But we equally need people that are willing to put their heart into the nuts and bolts of what makes programs run and what makes the university run. So I think that that, that idea of service and that the giving piece of it is really critical um, and then the other piece is somebody that's willing to make a decision and know that sometimes you're not going to be able to please everybody with that decision. And that, that's the tough part of being a leader, too. And in academia, I would say there are, um, you know, one of the qualities of being an academic is to debate and to challenge. 
and to to question assumptions. And so sometimes it's difficult to lead in that kind of environment where everything's up for debate and discussion. And um, sometimes decisions don't happen because there's this sort of love of process almost. Mm-hmm. And so um, it's really important to know how to cut off that debate and to defend and have good rationale and and then sort of stand your ground. And that's part of gaining respect in academia. And that culture isn't always understood when you're coming in from the outside. It may appear as rude to some. It may appear as um, not willing to move on. may appear as as getting into too much detail or or those kinds of things. I, and I'm bringing this up because I run these clinical scholar programs where I bring together faculty, students, and staff, and healthcare organizations to solve big, not only clinical practice problems, but big system problems. And invariably, the faculty just really love to debate the problems and the issues and get a lot more satisfaction than that than making a decision and moving on. And so the staff see that as um, as sort of too challenging. So you kind of have to know your context that you're leading in and who you're leading with. And many great points brought up by Patty and Penny there. Um, and. And going on to the next question just a little bit, can you speak to the importance of academic leadership in fieldwork um, and just the vital role that fieldwork instructors serve as leaders in higher education? Well, um, this Penny, this is where I think education is the rubber hits the road right now and it is a big deal. And any um, health profession program that isn't um, concerned or isn't willing to redesign clinical education to to achieve better learning, we're going to miss what's going on in the future. So leadership here is crucial, and this is a connected leadership between multiple layers. You have to have leaders of the university interacting with leaders in clinical organizations then you have to have leaders in different health profession programs interacting with, let's say, occupational therapy practitioners. And then, you know, you've got to bring all that together to make it happen. And it is so complex and getting more complex that this can't be done without leadership on both sides of the coin. And... Um, the fieldwork educators in clinical practice are just so crucial to the quality of our educational programs. And without their leadership about how are our students doing, do they understand the clinical environment, the systems in which they're trying to practice, and are we addressing it that well in the curriculum? Are we giving them enough preparatory experiences so that they, when they get to the clinical world that um, 
the fieldwork educator isn't having a blank slate to have to work with, that mm-hmm. they're actually um, seeing people that are fairly well prepared, knowing that they are a piece of that even further preparation. So this is a national discussion that needs a lot more leadership and a lot more attention. And I definitely think, again, that when you're a fieldwork clinical instructor, you don't realize that as you mentor students, you are being a leader. Um, As you mold that fieldwork experience at your facility, you are leading and you're trying to get people to come around to your vision for the best educational experience for our students. And clinical education is, again, I agree wholeheartedly with Penny, is such a big part of our our educational um, package to make sure that we are training students to be ready to be excellent practitioners. And so I think we rely on the leadership of our fieldwork educators, our clinical instructors, to provide that really strong mentorship. And I think, again, mentorship is a huge part of leadership. And I I hope that our clinical instructors see their role as being a mentor to um, the future therapists that will be our colleagues in practice. Great points regarding the broad opportunities for leadership. And so I'm wondering, we're wondering now, what advice do you have for listeners? Hello? Jenny? Jenny, I think we lost you for a moment. Can you just repeat the question? Absolutely. Um, The question was about the advice that you may have for listeners who are unsure of where to start or how to get their foot in the door to transition into academia? Well, we just, um, this is Penny, we just talked about the one of the, um, the way I got into academia was becoming a fieldwork educator first. Um, actually, I'll have to even go back further. It, I really got into academia because When I was in the classroom as a student, I enjoyed not just listening and learning from the professor, but I also enjoyed learning about how they were teaching me. And so I had this sort of natural inclination, wow, this was helpful to learn it that way, or how might I have learned that better? So I had this constant sort of questioning on my mind how to learn something better what other resources should I bring to bear? So that was me. But then when I was in clinical education as a student, I would also say, now, how is it that I could have learned this better? What did I really need for my fieldwork educator? Or what did I need for my program? So then when the opportunity came for me to be the fieldwork educator, I'd already had some really deep thoughts about how I would do things differently with the students I worked with. I was eager to share my learning. I was eager for them to teach me. And I think it's that recognition in academia that you're you're almost co-facilitating each other's learning. And so that questioning mind, that open attitude, 
Um, there's a term in, in the world of innovation called notony, N-O-T-E-N-Y, having the beginner's mind. Um, so I kind of wanted to join with learners, with them in a beginner's mind. And when I would do that, I would pay close attention to how we were learning together and kind of note that. So I started out in, in as a fieldwork educator and then um, got asked to do some guest lecturing, some adjunct faculty work where they have you come in and teach a course, um, did some lab assisting, and then eventually decided I enjoyed it so much that I applied for a faculty um, position. But I have to say that, and maybe Patty can talk about this more too, I wasn't totally prepared to get into academia. I look back at it now and wished I would have sought out better understanding of what an academic career looked like because I really had a lot of misperceptions as well. So maybe, Patty, you can Yeah, I think there. that is the number one thing I hear from clinicians that are transitioning into a faculty role. And I think it's because of the role we have in a clinical setting. Um, you, could have, you could own your own business. You could be self-employed. But many times, we're hired by a company or a school system and we're providing therapy in a very specific setting. But when you're um, working in an academic institution, there's this idea of shared governance, this idea that there are systems in place and you're a part of that system. And I think understanding the, um, just how the structure of higher education and is something really critical that at any, if you're, if you're moving towards academics and you're beginning to teach at an institution, you really need to understand um, the policies and procedures for being an academic. I think that would help you understand, um, you know, moving forward. I think when I started teaching, I thought, oh, I just need to prepare really awesome lectures and labs and, you know, have active learning and engage my students. But there's a lot more to being in a faculty role the expectations for being in a faculty role. So we talked about an expectation for service, and there's an act, uh, expectation for scholarship and research. And so all those things are a part of being an academic faculty. Um, I think that's pretty critical. I do feel that um, to get your foot in the door, I think step one is let people know that you're interested and that you have something some expertise in a, in a certain area that you could maybe lend to a lecture or a lab. Um, I think many um, institutions are looking for very specific expertise, and maybe you can do some adjunct teaching. Um, I agree with Penny. It's a nice foot in the door is also being an academic educator. And you know, you're the clinical instructor, and then you're leading the clinical instruction at your institution. And then maybe when an academic um, fieldwork educator role comes open at a university near you, you already have that experience, and you understand what is needed from the clinical side for students that are entering into a fieldwork experience. And so that, I think, gives you some expertise 
to apply for those kind of positions. Um, and again, I, I think don't be afraid to tell people what you want, that you want to teach, that uh, you're, you're willing to be a guest instructor. Um, I, actually, we have a lot of volunteer um, opportunities for local clinicians at my university. And I think that's a great way to come in and begin to mentor students and be a part of that instructional process. So we have um, standardized patients that are clinicians. We need standardized patients for our clinical practicum experiences. And um, we seek volunteers from, local, from our local clinicians. And so we're looking for people that are interested in mentoring and teaching students. And Patty, um, you began answering my next question, uh, and this was conversely for the folks who uh, may have started a career in academia or may be serving in a department chairperson role or administrator, but what advice do you have for educators, um, like I said, in the classroom or in practice who are committed to cultivating leaders, um, and what strategies have you found helpful? You alluded to some of those before. I think the number one thing, and this happened in my situation, is again, I didn't recognize that I had the potential to have a career in academics until somebody that was very senior said to me, I think you will be an excellent teacher. So it's almost, I think a role of faculty is seeing that within our own students and with clinicians in the community. If they have what it takes to work in an academic setting and then telling them that. Saying, I say this all the time to, to some of our um, guest lecturers or clinicians that come in and work at our student-run free clinic or come in for volunteer experiences. You know, you would be great in academics and, you know, you really care about mentoring students and you have some really good ideas. Did you ever think about um, a career in academics? So I think it's, a, it's, it's important that current faculty begin to build the, the next, the future academics um, for occupational therapy, because we definitely need them. Well, great advice. Thank you, Patty. And Penny, do you have anything to add? Well, I, I really think it's important to give um, students in your classroom um, lots of experience in teaching as well, um, whether that's um, a teaching assistant, peer-to-peer um, uh, -peer mentoring, um, whether it's leading study groups, or um, you can kind of see the natural the people that are gravitating towards teaching and really enjoy learning. And if you, it's important even then to plant a seed like, a year from now, I want you to come back here and let's talk about you being a, a, clinic, a fieldwork supervisor. Um, or can you, as a recent graduate, attend an advisory uh, board group where we're going to talk about how to improve the curriculum and we'd like your voice in that right away. So I think there's ways to, we're really good at talking about what clinical practice careers are, maybe even what administrative careers and clinical practice are like, but we're not as intentional to identify talent 
in academic and research and encouraging people to plan for that and to develop a plan for that and build a network and a set of mentoring uh, people around that. And so when I was with students, I um, do that on purpose, very intentional about it. I agree. I, th I think it, you know, when our students are thinking, obviously they've, they've come to school because they want to be occupational therapists and work with children or adults or in the geriatric setting or mental health. But at some point, you do have to recognize students that are, that should go on to pursue um, a career in academics at some time. And so it's important to begin that mentorship very, very early, um, whether it's tutoring or um, leading small groups. Um, for our new graduates, I love to have them come in and be part of a, you know, a first-year graduate panel. Um, so what, is it, what does it feel like to be a new practitioner? And just to get them in front of the class, in front of students, I think builds their confidence, and maybe they see themselves in that academic role. I know a lot of our graduates have gone on to um, pursue advanced degrees to go into academic. So, like, you've had a, a role in helping them think of themselves as a faculty member um, or somebody that could pursue a role in academics. Thank you. Those are great strategies to cultivate leaders. And parallel to that previous question, what advice would you have for our current students? how they can use their current educational experience and the resources they have access to to explore academic leadership as a possibility. Wow, um, we are very hungry for student leaders. Um, I would say um, particularly where you see often more st student leadership promoted sometimes is in undergrad um, and really uh, graduate students need to take advantage of all the leadership opportunities that are available, whether it's um, through the Student OT Association, through, like I run a, uh, since I am the Associate Provost of the Graduate College, I run a graduate student advisory group. In fact, there um, going to be participating with me in a strategic planning process for the entire graduate college. And so we're taking specific things that the faculty think are good ideas and seeing what they think of it and what they think might be missing or um, what they would prefer us to be um, focusing on. And, um, and they're really excited about it. I I just thought they might be kind of like, um, oh, we we have other things we want to do, but they were just thrilled to be asked, to be included, um, to be asked their ideas. And the more the university can provide those opportunities, the better. I know um, um, there's lots of activities where graduate students can um, mentor undergraduate students. And so any of those opportunities that you can build in um, is important as long as it doesn't detract from your other goals. You have to find that right balance of where you can put your time. 
And um, certainly AOTA um, provides some wonderful opportunities. There's the Emerging Leaders Program, which I think is excellent. And um, again, I think at an institutional level, there's opportunities for students to be involved, even in committee work. Um, typically, we involve a student with um, when you're do when you're forming a search committee for a faculty position, especially if it's a dean. We want student input and say yes to those opportunities because I think you begin to see the inner workings of how um, of your role as a faculty, the other side that they might not see. I think. I think students may see being in academics as teaching all the time, and that's just one part of it. And so getting involved with um, different opportunities that are afforded to you. I think um, in AOTA too, being your student representative, the delegate, and being involved in some leadership positions that are um, that you have um, opportunities for, it's important to to say yes to those things and maybe see what opportunities are available on the national level. Thank you, Patty. And at this time, we have about 15 minutes left. I, I want to open it up to the floor. Um, I don't see any questions necessarily on Twitter, but I do want to ask you this. What new roles, opportunities, or areas of practice are emerging for academic leaders today? Hmm. Uh, um, I think the the biggest one is in the area of um, um, just in solving uh, big social problems. Um, I think academia has always had that role, but I think people are hungry for bringing academic knowledge and and abilities around and organizing around big social issues and getting students organized around those big um, social issues as a learning opportunity and to partner with organizations in that process. It's such a good learning experience for everyone and it often has such huge impact. So um, I just think in the world where you can be engaged in uh, these kinds of discussions internationally through the um, digital communication, through hackathons, through um, those kinds of innovation attempts to take on some big issues. And even if you can solve some of those big issues locally, that has such a huge influence where other groups may copy what you're doing and apply it in so many different situations. I think with the millennial student body and um, faculty that are there now, they're really wanting to break out of the walls, so to speak, of academia and really learn through that application and solution and opportunity kind of focused education more than ever. And certainly I think naturally occupational therapists are trained to collaborate with leaders in within the community and to, as Penny is saying, really think, kind of put our occupational lens on and think from the philosophy of our training to help um, set up an innovative program for veterans um, that maybe it's a mental health um, 
clinic or opportunities for adaptive recreation for um, children with disabilities or veterans or a population that's being underserved. I think we, we have the capacity to, ha to not only help our communities, but also lead initiatives. And I, I talk to the students, my students, about this a lot, that, that I don't think occupational therapy happens. We train our students to work in a clinic or in a hospital setting or a skilled nursing facility or in somebody's home. But I think our area of practice, the area of growth, is going to happen in innovative community programming to serve not just individuals but groups and populations. And I, I truly think in the next decade that occupational therapists we're going to be looking for leaders that are going to be change agents in community-based programming. Thank you. Thank you. And yeah, and this topic was addressed to some extent earlier. Um, I just wanted to ask if there were any other common misconceptions about academic leadership that haven't been already touched upon that you'd like to address or maybe dispel for our listeners. I, I think um, one critical issue is um, a big issue is life balance, and that isn't just the case for academia, but it really gets challenged in academia because in some ways academia is more of a lifestyle um, than a nine-to-five um, business opportunity or employment, because you're always constantly learning and preparing and studying and researching and 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 you have these three big roles of teaching, service, and scholarship. And if you're not careful, that really can eat into your time, your commitment to your family um, and friends. And sometimes I think it can be hard if you're um, a single parent, for example, uh, if you don't have that network to support you in that life balance. So I think that's where mentoring is really important and um, because the, the faculty who I've seen leave prematurely from academia is they did not start off with good life balance and ways of creating boundaries for themselves and uh, making sure that that self-care is pretty big and important piece of their life. I think, um, I definitely think life balance needs to be a part of any um, new faculty orientation. Um, but also I think uh, to dispel a rumor that faculty, academic faculty are detached from clinical practice. I think a, a good academic faculty that is trying to bridge um, the training of, of current and relevant and evidence-based practice with what is the practice environment, the current practice environment, has to have some foot in clinical practice. I'm not saying they have time to be a clinician as well as a full-time academic, but they have to have relationships with, academic, um, with clinicians so they understand what is the current practice environment and how, what is the best way to apply or deliver the types of interventions we're teaching students. And I, I I just would hopefully want to dispel the rumor that that there is a um, that all academics aren't they don't understand what the current practice environment is because I think 
I think we all, I think as academics, we strive to understand where our students are going to be practicing so we can help them learn and prepare them for those clinical experiences. Thank you, Patty. And I just want to open up. We received a question, and um, we, you know, we spoke about this a little bit earlier as well. But the question coming in was: Would you, would either of you recommend that students get involved in non-OT association leadership activities, given the huge importance of interprofessional practice? Yes. And if, <laughs> I um, I really think that um, you do need to lead in your profession. You do need to, I think, lead in the community. And um, my master's degree is in community development, so I have a very strong community partner kind of bent. But knowing how to lead people from disparate backgrounds, experiences, professions, situations that they're in, is highly important because sometimes you can get the best ideas and solutions when you're open to discovery of what each can bring to the table that might be very different than what you had planned on. And um, so that means not only being open to other professions, but it also means being open to what's going on into the community and community leaders and community business folks and uh, spiritual leaders. And I just think the more you become comfortable leading with a broad group of people, the better you will be as a leader. And the more um, open-minded you'll be and the the more of a questioning attitude you'll have rather than a defensive demeanor. And I have learned as a a dean that um, there are many, many who disagree, but what people are hungry for is those leaders who can bring people to a a decent conclusion and where people understood the process and how you got there. They may not agree with it, but they may agree with the process and how you got there and who was involved. Um, yes, I I couldn't agree more. I think the reason, the drive behind interprofessional education is that it is important to very early on socialize our students to the way people think and practice in other professions. And that if we train them exclusively and only in the philosophy of um, occupational therapy, when they go into whatever healthcare setting, they're going to work in, or school-based setting. They're always going to be working with other professionals. So I think it's natural for me to to support that our students take leadership roles um, within and outside of occupational therapy. Um, One of our faculty is very involved with the American Rheumatological Association, and um, she's been able to receive a grant every year to take our students to that national conference. And I think it's really important for them to understand our role with some chronic conditions and to interact and see the type of leadership that's going on in a national level with groups of occupational therapists and physical therapists and physicians and nurses and to see how these 
different healthcare professions come together to lead major initiatives for specific groups of people. Thank you. You all possess such a wealth of knowledge, it's impossible to capture it all in one hour. Um, but before we go to our closing, wanted to ask if there was anything else that we haven't covered regarding the topic today that you'd like to share. I just want to say that leadership in academia is rewarding. It is um, exciting. It's um, powerful. And it's worth the effort. And if that's where your interest lies, that you should go after it. Um, and because there, there's so many possibilities, and um, you can get there, and with the right planning, the right mentorship, and it won't be an easy road, but it's worth it. I couldn't agree more because I think, as we as a profession are transitioning to potentially an entry level doctorate, we we definitely need um, our young clinicians and our students to consider um, their role in academics. And I think it's really critical to, again, just let your, let your, your faculty know if you're a student. If you're a clinician, let your um, institution know where you graduated from. And go back to the faculty that you were close to and tell them that you're interested in a, a career in academics and help get, you know, Try to align yourself with people that can provide mentorship to you so you know how to take the right path. And I would say do that sooner rather than later. Don't, don't, kind of, don't be an island. Find people that are like-minded and, and try to, to find somebody that's going to help you in this journey. Wonderful. Well, once again, a heartfelt thank you to our guests um, for your insights and your time. You've both given us so much to think about and shared a lot of valuable information that we can definitely use in our own leadership journey. And in addition, thank you for your commitment to, your on to ongoing mentorship and promoting leadership within our profession. It, we know you're incredibly busy, so on behalf of my co-host and the community of leaders, thank you for all that you do. Um, and to our listeners, you can learn more about academic leadership through the resources available from AOTA as well. For example, the Academic Education Special Interest section connects members with a common interest in the field of occupational therapy education. These include fieldwork educators, academic fieldwork coordinators, and the, you know, this also, they also offer resources such as tip sheets, forums, and articles through publications in the quarterly publication. You can also access more information on AOTA's website regarding topics such as education and careers, as well as this topic of fieldwork education. Um, thank you all for joining us, and we will see you next time. Have a great night. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.